Well, good morning. My name is Ethan. I'm the kids pastor here. Glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, This morning, we're wrapping up a series called Heroes. And in this series, we've been looking at men and women throughout the Bible. And we've been looking particularly at characteristics and patterns in their lives that we've seen God blesses these things and things that are worth emulating for us today. So today, we're going to take a look at a character named Joshua. And in Joshua, particularly, we're going to look at uh, the attribute of courage, the characteristic of courage. And we're going to see in him the type of courage that God blesses. So in in movies, as, as we've just seen, courage is a very common trait for heroes. Heroes in movies, they can be a lot of things, but they are all courageous it's really kind of a, a mandatory thing if you want to be a movie hero. you got to be courageous. And one of my favorite examples, and, and what I think is probably one of the most classic examples of a movie hero, is Indiana Jones, Dr. Jones. Um, and if, you, if you look at this picture, you can see he just exudes courage, right? Even his horse looks courageous in this picture. <laughs> Arguably more courageous than he is, actually. That is a fierce horse. Um, <clears throat> But Indiana Jones, along with all of our other movie heroes, they tend to paint an unrealistic picture of what courage actually looks like. Harrison Ford, he's got Steven Spielberg, he's got composer John Williams helping him out, helping him look courageous. But today, we're going to be interested, we're going to be looking at practical courage, not so much movie courage. Now, my wife and I, we've been married for nearly five years now. And in those past five years, we've actually learned a lot about the difference between movie courage and real-life courage. And one of the things that we did early on, uh, before we were even married, actually, we were still engaged, we decided, you know what, courage is an important thing to us. It's a value we want to be important in our family. And so we instituted a Johnstone family holiday, and we called it Courage Day. We just made it up, called it Courage Day, and put it on July 8th. So actually, since it's on July 8th, that means one week from today, that's what my family's going to do. We're going to celebrate Courage Day. And what we do for that is just very simply, we look back at the previous year, and we just look at the ways that God has helped us show courage as a family. And so I'll highlight some things that my wife, Andrea, has done in the past year to to demonstrate that value. She'll kind of do the same for me. And then more recently, we've been able to get our our little kids into the mix, and that's been a lot of fun. A couple years ago, we celebrated my daughter, Millie, petting a snake at the zoo. There was a snake and she petted and it was courageous and we celebrated it. So it's a lot of fun. Um, But through this practice, we've actually been able to make some interesting observations about courage. And one of those observations is that opportunities for courage, for us anyway, they almost always involve trials. Maybe not so much the snake at the zoo, but by and large, opportunities for courage involve some sort of trial. Uh, In the movies, courage is very romantic. In real life, it's much more gritty than it is romantic. In real life, there's rarely that adrenaline rush associated with courage that we see in the movies. And rarely do our courageous moments even feel courageous at the time. They kind of feel, they, they tend to actually feel awful, not so much courageous. They're almost always involved with some sort of unpleasant circumstance or with really difficult choices that we have to make. So for us, over the past five years, some major themes that we've seen, um, hospital visits has been a major theme, uh, kind of medical scares and medical uncertainty has been something that has 
forced us to be in situations that require courage. Another theme has been making tough decisions to do what's right, even when we know that it's going to cost us in time or money, and usually both. Um, Another one that has been surprising for us, another theme, has been just confessing sin, um, clearing up relationships, owning our mistakes, and asking forgiveness of each other and of others. We've been surprised at how, how much courage that has required over the past five years. Um, and so it's not exactly fun stuff, and it's not exactly the kind of glamorous stuff that you'd want to make a movie out of. But today, as we, as we look at the life of Joshua, we're going to see the type of courage that he showed is a practical courage. It's the type of courage that we can examine, we can learn from, and we can emulate and so while, while Indiana Jones can certainly entertain us with his courage, today we're going to look to Joshua and we're going to see that he instructs us with his courage. Now an entire book of the Bible is devoted to the events that took place in the nation of Israel under the leadership of Joshua. And that's the book that bears his name, the book of Joshua in the Bible. And in that book, we see right off the bat that the story opens with very clear and very challenging circumstances for Joshua. Uh, the, first, the first words, the first words that God speaks to Joshua in the book clue us in on how challenging those circumstances were. Here are those first five words. It says, God says to Moses, or God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Moses, my servant is dead. Now Moses had been the leader of Israel for 40 years at this point before his death. So that's actually the equivalent of every presidential term from Jimmy Carter until now. So he'd been at the reins for a very, very long time. And God had used Moses during that time to do things like pull Egypt or pull Israel out of the nation of Egypt where they were in slavery. He used Moses to part the Red Sea, to uh, put down internal rebellions, defeat other armies. He had used Moses to deliver God's written word to the people. And for much of this time, Joshua had kind of been in the background as Moses's assistant. So now with Moses's death, Joshua is stepping up into Moses's spot. He's filling Moses's shoes. Now I've, I've always felt bad for John Adams, the second president of the United States. And the reason I felt bad for him is because he had to follow George Washington, the first president of the United States. And George Washington was kind of this larger-than-life leader, this larger-than-life figure. And so, so I just felt bad for Adams. You know, those are some tough shoes to fill. He had a tough task. But what he had to do was really, I think, nothing compared with what Joshua had to do. He had to fill Moses's shoes, kind of this ultimate larger-than-life leader. And so that's, that's what he did. And we see from these five, these five words, Moses, my servant, is dead, that Joshua's ascension to leadership was really under pretty challenging circumstances. And then as we look at the second half of the verse, we see that Joshua's task was really as challenging as his circumstances. So here's how the second half goes. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them. So this was a task that called for courage. Joshua knew this was not just a matter of crossing the Jordan River, strolling into the land, and just settling down. This, uh, the land was occupied. It was occupied by strong opponents, and this was definitely going to be a fight. <clears throat> so Joshua would have to lead the people into the land 
against strong opponents in the face of these tremendous odds. And, uh, and if you look just back to a generation earlier, you can see that they were presented with this same opportunity of going in and taking the land. And here, here's what they concluded when they were in the same, with that same opportunity that jo- uh, Joshua had. They concluded, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the, people, all, the, all the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we looked the same to them. So the generation before, their courage melted. They looked at the land. They saw the inhabitants. They, they concluded, we are like grasshoppers compared to these giants. Their courage melted, and so the question for Joshua is, in the face of the same situation, is he going to melt into a puddle of fear like the previous generation, or is he actually going to show courage? The main passage that we're going to look at today is Joshua 1, verses 5 through 9. And in this passage, it's pretty cool because we get to see God giving Joshua specific instruction on how to have courage. God knew that this was a high courage task, and so he gives him very specific instruction on how to go about doing that. And we get to, we get to look at that today, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, we're going to see as we do that, God give Joshua three positive commands, three things to do, and then three negative commands, three things to not do. And from these positive and negative commands, we're going to look at three questions that we can ask ourselves to help gain traction and move forward in courage in our own lives. So I'm just going to read verses 5 through 9 here of chapter 1, and then we'll dive in. God speaking to Joshua says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and very courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the first set of positive and negative commands that we see here that we can draw out is to be strong and do not be afraid. Now what what is this actually supposed to mean? What does it look like for Joshua to be strong and not afraid? If I was Joshua, I'd be wondering, okay, how do I go about that? Just just be strong. Um, and actually the word here that is used for be strong kind of helps us out, helps us understand better what Joshua can actually do with this command. The word uh, be strong in Hebrew, it kind of carries the idea of grasping or getting a firm grip. So if, you, if you've played tennis or another racket sport, I personally prefer racquetball, but that's just me. But if you've played a racquetball sport or a racket sport, you know the importance of getting a firm grip on that racket. When a strong serve comes in and you're wanting to return it, if you've kind of got a loosey-goosey grip and you go to return it, you're not going to have as much control over where the ball's going to go. And so, um, so you want to have not the, not the death grip, but you certainly want to have a firm grip on that racket. It's true in other areas of life, whether you're swinging a, a baseball bat or a hammer. And I think particularly if you are shaking someone's hand is where it really shows up. You really want to have a firm grip with that handshake. You don't, again, you don't want to have that death grip, 
but, uh, but a firm grip rather than the loosey-goosey kind of dead fish thing that, that no one likes is, is always better. So, so this command to Joshua to be strong is really a command to get a grip. It's a command to get a firm grasp on his responsibility specifically. It's a command to know his assignment and to hold fast to that. So this meant for Joshua getting a firm grip on his responsibility, on his role as successor to Moses, as leader of Israel. And then it also meant getting a firm grip on his assignment to lead the people into the land that God was going to give them. The opposite of obedience here for Joshua would have been to allow fear to get the upper hand, to, to be afraid, and to, um, and to allow fear to cause him to slink back from his responsibilities. The opposite would have been for him to just kind of wilt under the pressure and to go slack-handed, take a slack-handed approach to his responsibility. So for us, when confronted with circumstances that require courage, the first question that we can ask ourselves to help gain traction is this. It's, what is my responsibility? What in this situation that demands courage, what is my role? What are my assignments? What do I need to do to get a firm grip on my responsibility? Now, I think a great example of getting a firm grip on responsibility is our first responders, the, our police, firefighters, and paramedics. A firm grip on their responsibility allows them to move forward with courage into dangerous situations. When a crisis happens, those people, more than anyone else, they know what their task is, they know their assignment, and having this firm grip on their responsibility allows them to move forward with the courage that their professions really routinely demand of them. Um, and it's because they have that firm grip and because they maintain that firm grip throughout the moment of crisis that they can really move forward with the courage that they need. And so let me ask you, just when are you tempted to loosen your grip? When are you tempted to loosen the grip on the responsibilities that God has given you? Uh, for myself, I know that the temptation to loosen that grip on responsibility is often the strongest when that pressure dial on life is being turned up. <clears throat> when there's just lots of pressure on life, and then also at the same time, when I'm experiencing some kind of disappointment, something that I thought would happen didn't, or something that I wanted to occur didn't take place. When those two things, pressure and disappointment, come together, uh, is when I'm, I'm most prone to loosen that grip on responsibilities. Uh, several years ago, my family went through a season of life where it was just kind of a season of pressure and disappointment when we were experiencing a string of medical problems and medical uncertainty. And, uh, and, and as, as is often the case, when there's medical uncertainty, there's usually financial uncertainty because you're asking the question, how are we going to pay for all these trips to the hospital? How are we going to pay for this? So it's kind of, kind of those things were going on. And at the time, I was working for a marketing company and I just remember there were days when I would, more than a few days, when I would pull up into the parking lot for work in the morning and I would just sit in my car and, and I would ask God, God, please help me to get a grip on my responsibilities for work today. When the, when the pressure was turned up, when there was disappointment, that temptation to just simply go through the motions at work was really strong. To attend meetings but not contribute, to just kind of be there but not be there to go through and do the bare minimum and really look to others to pick up the slack, if, I, if I'm honest, is what was taking place. And then there have also been times when I've prayed a similar prayer to that, 
not at work, but sitting in my own driveway at home at the end of the day and not praying about my responsibilities at work, but praying that, God, will you please help me to get a firm grip on my responsibilities as a husband and as a father? When pressure and disappointment are present, the temptation to go slack-handed in those roles is pretty strong. And, uh, and if I'm honest, it's even stronger during football season when I know that I can be on that couch. That's a great alternative, watching football. It's a great alternative to owning up to those responsibilities. And if I'm doubly honest, it's also true during baseball season <laughs> and basketball for NBA and, and hockey. And yeah, okay. So um, it's a problem for me because it's pretty much the whole calendar. But, um, but when trials mount, when the pressure is turned up in life, there's often this temptation to just kind of slink back from our responsibilities. And then asking and answering the question, what are my responsibilities, forces us to assess reality and really lean into it at a time when there's that strong temptation to just shy away from reality. So when confronted with challenges, disappointment, we can definitely choose to call in sick. We can choose to, to phone in on those responsibilities. But when we choose to do this, what we're actually doing, we're actually deciding to take that first off-ramp on the road to courage. And when we do this, you know, it may not necessarily feel cowardly, but it's an opt-out on courage nonetheless. It's a decision not to continue forward toward courage. And when we do get that firm grip on our responsibilities and move forward, it doesn't mean that we've arrived at courage, but it is, it is a conscious choice to stay on the road toward courage, to drive right past that first off-ramp and keep moving toward courage. So the first thing that we learn here from God's instruction to Joshua about practical courage is to be strong and to get that grip. The second set of positive and negative commandments that we have here that God receives from Joshua is to be courageous and do not be discouraged. Positive command, be courageous. Negative, do not be discouraged. The idea behind the word that's translated courageous here is to act with valor regardless of how your gut feels. Regardless of your emotions, it's a decision really to wade forward with courage in the face of difficulty. Now for Joshua, we see that he did this. He did a really good job of setting the example in this. In the very next verses, verses 10 and 11, after what we just read, we see that Joshua, really not knowing how everything would work out, acted on what he knew his clear responsibility to be and got God's people moving. Here's what he said to the people. He said, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan, the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So despite whatever fear may have been accumulating in his gut, he got the ball rolling and he took those first steps. So then the negative command here is do not be discouraged. And to be discouraged, it's really, it's really the opposite of courage. It's to lose courage. It's kind of the loss of courage to the point of really not functioning in any meaningful way. And I think this command, do not be discouraged, is one of the hardest to follow. Now, how do you actually go about not being discouraged? If you've ever been bogged down by that inaction that, of discouragement, then you know that it really just takes more than a pep talk to lift you up out of that swamp. You know, in a swamp, if your feet are stuck in a swamp, it's hard to just even put one foot in front of the other. And I think so it is with, with discouragement. 
In a swamp, you're, you can be disoriented. Even if you could move quickly, you don't necessarily know which way to go. And so discouragement, it's really not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of situation. And it's difficult enough to pull yourself out of discouragement when there's just one challenge or one discouraging situation. But how much more difficult is it when you just find yourself neck deep and layer upon layer of challenging, discouraging situation when those family problems, family um, challenges are, are stacked on financial problems, career problems, relationship problems, maybe marriage or, or, or problems with children. And so when discouragement sets in, when we find ourselves kind of neck deep in that swamp, when courage just really seems a million miles away, we can ask ourselves this next question to help us gain some positive momentum and gain, gain some traction. That question is, what is my source of confidence? Now, as we look at God's instruction to Joshua, you can see that it's actually structured in a pretty intentional way. It's structured so that it repeats itself, but in reverse. So if you look at it, you can see that the commands to be strong and courageous, they're kind of flanked by the reassurance that God will be with Joshua in what he's asking him to do. I will be with you really serves as the bookends here to the commands to be strong and to be courageous. So on one end, we have, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And then on the other end, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In the Bible, this is actually a promise that's pretty frequent when God is asking someone to do something challenging or face some adversity, something that requires courage. Even if we just think about earlier in this series, this is the sixth message, the sixth hero that we've looked at. If we look back at some of the other heroes that we've looked at, we can see the same theme occur. For Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. For Mary, who we looked at a few weeks ago, the angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. Again, the Lord is with you. And then for Peter, who we looked at last week, in Jesus's final words to Peter, along with the rest of his disciples, he said this, final thing that he said was, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So we've got Gideon, the Lord is with you. Mary, the Lord is with you. Peter, I am with you. And then for Joshua, so I will be with you. I will be with you wherever you go. So this is a pretty strong theme. And the same God, so the same God that gives that seemingly impossible command to be courageous and not discouraged also supplies the source of confidence for the courage. When God asks for courage, he serves as the foundation of that courage. And in Joshua's situation, we can actually see that there is actually really no other rational foundation for his confidence. For Joshua, in the spot he was in, to look internally to himself and walk away with a sense of confidence would have been absurd. It would have really been irrational for him to look at himself, look at the reality of his situation, and walk away thinking that courage was well justified. And it would have been equally as irrational for him to look at his forces, compare them to the opposing forces, and walk away thinking that, yep, there's a good reason for me to be courage here. This ad- be courageous. This adds up. You can actually see that the previous generation, they did this. We looked at, the, we looked at this earlier. They looked at themselves. They looked at the enemy. 
And they concluded, no way. <laughs> We're like grasshoppers here. And so, so that might have been a little bit of a hyperbole in their estimate, but their basic conclusion was, their conclusion was, we can't do it. That was their rational conclusion. They did not factor in God. And because they did not factor in God, because God was a non-factor, they could find no rational source of courage and their courage melted. So like Joshua, if we're going to find, if we're following God, we're going to find ourselves in situations that call for more courage than we can look within ourselves or look toward others to find. And these situations are actually an opportunity for us to remind ourselves to look to the one who has said, I will be with you. And this God, the God that we look to, who said, I will be with you, the God in whom is all power, in whom is all wisdom, he is the only source of confidence that can allow us to move forward in the face of these circumstances. So the second thing that Joshua teaches us then about courage is to move forward despite our gut because our confidence is firmly planted in God. And, uh, and when we say this, also I want to clarify that this is, this is not a claim or not a license to claim God is with me and then just move forward and do whatever we want to do and expect God's blessing on that. The kind of courage that God is interested in is not a courage to serve our own interests as we follow our own hearts. Uh, in 2005, Steve Jobs did a commencement speech at Stanford University. It's a really interesting speech. I want to highlight one of the things that he said in that speech. He said this. He said, have courage to follow your heart. Have courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. It's pretty interesting. The Bible is going to say the exact opposite of that. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So Steve Jobs says your heart will guide you. You should listen to it. The Bible says your heart will lie to you. As Christ followers, we should not make the mistake of looking to God to supply us with courage to follow our heart and intuition. Or look to God to supply us with courage to do what it is that we just, we just want to do. The type of courage that God is faithful to supply, the type of courage that we should pursue is courage to follow God, not courage to follow our hearts. The courage that God gives is courage to, to do what's right, not to do whatever it is that we want to do. And so, and so as we look at this third set of positive and negative commands to Joshua, this final set, we're going to see that God, God isn't giving Joshua just a blank check, a promise of courage to do whatever it is that he wants to do no matter what. God gives Joshua specific boundaries within which he is to walk. So let's read about that last one here in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 say, Joshua, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So the third set of commands that we see here is be careful and do not turn. Be careful to obey all the word that my servant Moses commanded you, which is God's words, and do not turn from it. Do not turn to the right or to the left. So if we go back and we look at the structure of this passage that we had looked at earlier, we can see that this set of commands, this actually fills in the rest of the structure of this passage from what God is giving Joshua. And it's actually the center point 
of the passage. I will be with you. It's kind of the bookends. Be strong and courageous. That's God's charge there in the middle. And then in the very center, we see that this is the point that everything hinges on. Be careful to obey. So the type of courage that's called for here, you can tell it's, it's clearly not a casual sort of obedience that we're talking about. The language that's used is, is pretty, pretty clear. Do not turn to the right or to the left. So essentially this is saying, do not deviate. This is a deliberate sort, an intentional sort of obedience that we're talking about here. And this, uh, this type of language is actually used at other places in the Bible. In the New Testament, there's a church planter named Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And he's writing to one of the churches that he had helped plant. And uh, here's, here's what he says. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, not as wise. So just like we see with this passage in Joshua, Paul says, Look carefully how you walk. And the word that Paul uses in Greek is the word akrobos. So you can maybe see where that's going. That's actually the, the word that we get our English word acrobat from. So the meaning of it is to, to walk, walk exactly, walk with precision. That's what Paul is encouraging this church to do. Walk, walk exactly within God's word. The level of attention that we give to walking within God's word should be like that, kind of, of an acrobat up on a high wire. So I think we've got a picture here of a guy on a tightrope in Yosemite. I take every opportunity I can to get a picture of Yosemite up here because it's my favorite place. But, um, <clears throat> but he's, he's walking across this tightrope uh, across Half Dome. And you can see that just, just as his, his attention is not focused here on which way am I going to go. He's not thinking, you know, maybe I'll take a sharp right up here. Or maybe, maybe I'll veer off to the left in a few feet. His attention is focused right in front of them. And so just as this tightrope walker or any kind of acrobat has their attention focused on the wire stretched out in front of them, so also should we be focused on walking carefully within God's word, not turning to the right or to the left. And this tends to be fairly easy to do when God's word is consistent with our own goals and when it makes sense to us. It becomes difficult when God's word comes into conflict with our own personal goals, with our own personal wants, or when God's ways seem really counterintuitive to us, when they just don't make a lot of sense to us. It becomes difficult when our heart says, go left, and God's word says, go forward. It's difficult when our intuition says, go right, and God's word says, go forward. And so right off the bat with Joshua, we're going to see that he was actually challenged with this. The very first city that he was tasked to take within, uh, within the land was the city of Jericho. So this is probably the most famous event in his life is taking the city of Jericho. And tradi traditional military wisdom says that if you want to capture a walled city, you need a good strategy and that strategy typically falls into one of three categories. Either you need to surprise your enemy, catch them off guard before they can retreat to the walls, or you need to make some sort of breach in the wall or scale the wall or undermine the wall, or you just need to outlast them. Surround them and wait until they run out of food or water. And so instead of moving forward, though, with one of these great options, Joshua received some pretty counterintuitive instruction from God. God's instruction to Joshua were, okay, 
March around the city once, then the next day, do it again. Do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. Then I want you to blow horns and yell and watch the walls fall down. So pretty counterintuitive. And not only was it counterintuitive, a counterintuitive plan, but it was a plan that if successful would take all of that glory of military victory away from Joshua and it would give God the credit. So despite this, Joshua walked forward within these clear boundaries, these very specific and clear boundaries from God. And sure enough, God came through with what he said he would do, and he justified Joshua's confidence and Joshua's obedience. The walls fell down. Joshua went in with his, with his men and took the city. So Jericho is not the final event in Joshua's life that would require courage. If you go back and you read that book of Joshua, you'll see that there are re- reoccurring times where he is challenged to, to show courage. And you'll also see that he wasn't perfect. Uh, he has some times when he moves forward hastily, when he doesn't consult God. And when that happens, there's consequences. And, uh, and, and, and he continues to move forward after that. But by and large, for the most part, Joshua's life was marked by this courage to follow God with careful obedience to God's word. And so if our lives then are to be marked by a similar courage and obedience, we need to ask this final question. And I think this is a really important question. It's, what are my boundaries? What are the boundaries that constitute right and left? If we answer this, if we're to answer this question, we really need to become familiar with God's word. We need to be familiar with the Bible. And that's why God commands Joshua to meditate on his word day and night, to learn it and think about it. To follow the boundaries, to experience God's blessings, we need to know what those boundaries are. We need to, we need to know the Bible. And so as we read God's word and become more familiar with it, what we find is that over time, God will challenge us to make specific changes or adjustments to our lives through his word, to stay within those boundaries and to be obedient to him. And those adjustments themselves actually tend to require a lot of courage. It takes courage to walk within those boundaries, to do what is counterintuitive to us, to do what maybe is not what my heart wants. So it's kind of ironic that obeying God walking within those boundaries requires courage. But I can tell you next week when my family, when we sit down and we do our our Courage Day celebration with our little family, this is going to be the dominant theme. We're going to look at areas in which God's word has instructed and corrected our lives, in which his word has told us that we're off track and we need to do things to get back on track. That's going to be the dominant thing. And what we're going to celebrate is not so much our own courage to follow God, but what we're going to celebrate is that when we have stepped out on a limb, when we have done what God's word said, is that we've really seen that what he said is true and that he, he is with us and he's been faithful. And so from God's instruction to Joshua, we, le- we learn that practical courage requires, one, getting that firm grip on responsibility. Two, it requires moving forward despite your gut by placing confidence in God. And three, being careful to learn and walk within God's boundaries. As we wrap up today, I'm just going to pray these things for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word to these men and women that we've been looking at in this series here. And thank you that 
we get to learn from it. We get to follow it. Um, and we can learn by their example. God, I pray that you would just help us in this room, help us as, as a church to be marked by courage. I ask that you would be, help us to be people who have the courage to do what is right, to follow you. And Father God, we just, we thank you that you are the source, you are the confidence. On our own, I don't know where we would go to find courage. And I thank you that, um, that you are faithful to us, God. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.